Oh, it was good. Yeah, the kids love the beach. I have this great video. Uh, Andrew actually took this great video of Anna just face planting into sand. What? Yeah, it was hilarious. The <laughs> sand all up in her mouth and stuff. Aw, uh, how'd she take it? <laughs> she was fine. She was just like, what is this? It's weird. And then Andrew's mom was like wiping the sand out of her mouth with her shirt. And then she went did she, on. Did she have that face? She was just like, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me, let me show you. Mm. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. It looked like she tried to catch herself, but, like, there was, like, a little dip, and so, like, yeah, her arms like, didn't little... touch anything. It's funny because they were actually, um... <laughs> they, there was actually a huge hole there, and they were, like, slowly filling it in throughout the day, and so this is it, like, filled in. Mm. Oh, okay. But they were, like, kind of, you know, walking in and out of it and jumping. Well, Julian was jumping in and out of it. But yeah, they had a blast. It was um, cold though, and uh, and so we didn't get to play in the water every day. Mm-hmm. But we did something every day, and it was fun. They still liked it. Yeah, Brenda and I are actually going to be uh, going on a little vacation soon. So um, that's I was I was kind of curious about your your camping experience because we're going to be doing a little bit of glamping ourselves. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, ours I'm- is kind of glamping because we had the the RV. You know, Andrew's parents' RV. Yeah, and for us, like, we're not going to be really, like, out in the elements in a tent. Like, we're, there's, like, a little cabin thing. So, we're, nice. we're actually going up to – it's, Iowa. like, right along the border, Iowa. We're going to uh, Washington, but it's, like, right on the oh, border dang. of Oregon, Washington. Oh, okay. Yeah, so literally, if you go on the other side of this river, then you're in you're in Oregon. That's so, awesome. Yeah, actually, um, I messaged my friend who lives up there, and uh, I was like, hey – if you're going to be in town, we're going to be uh, in Washington. But uh, it, it turns out he's closer to Seattle, which is like all the way on the other yeah. side of the mountain. So that makes there's, sense. You, there's no straight path through the mountain either. You have to go either all the way around the north end or all the way around the south end to wow. get to us. So. But also he said he was going to be out of town at that time. Oh, so I was like, ah, that's, that's fine. Funny. Maybe next time. Maybe next time I'll actually be on the other side of the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> I want to visit up. Seattle one of these days. I really want to visit Seattle, and Andrew really wants to visit New Orleans. Nice. And so one one day when we can vacation again, mm-hmm. then that is – or, you know, we're willing to leave the kids with the grandparents or whatever. Those are the first two places we're going to go. Oh, you know what? Something I'm also going to need to take into account when we go up to Washington is that – we're, we're going to need some warm clothes. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's going to be snowing up there. That is for sure. And I'm talking, I'm talking actual warm clothes, not California warm clothes. Seriously. I'll keep so that I'm probably going to have to get something a little bit thicker. Whether that ignores up. your attempts at keeping warm. I know. I'm going to have to do like a some sort of like thermal underneath and then like a shirt and yeah. then a sweater and then a jacket. Yeah. Just in case. I got to be prepared. So here's the big question. Are you going to take a long, long trip up and visit Forks? Oh, man. We looked at where Forks is. That's basically like borderline Canada. It's oh, like is the, it? the very northwest tip of Washington. Oh, my goodness. And that's the complete opposite end of Washington <laughs> so, yeah. from where we're going. So, so not probably happening. not. But most likely. I. I definitely want to go back and check out Seattle and all that as well. So um, if we're going to go back, 
I'm thinking we can probably stop by Forks then. Yeah. All right. Should we bite into this episode then? I think so. I think so. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Affliction Autos podcast, episode eight. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying ahead this time is my sister and co-host, Stephanie. What's up? Thanks for joining us today. This is a monthly podcast where we mainly talk about films that range from mind-blowing to mind-numbing. Occasionally, we may also cover TV shows or other forms of media. It goes without saying we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will only be the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. Man, this is... I feel like this is a lot more difficult to do early in the morning because we're used to doing it at night when I'm actually fully awake. I know, you know, I, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel a little bit of that too. I, but I'm not 100 percent sure if it's just because it's early morning or if it's being coupled with the fact that I'm sick. Maybe. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, I'm let's just feeding off of your goes. energy right now. <laughs> You're just like, and <laughs> this is. I know. I'm just like. I feel like I'm. I'm like really sluggish. We might not be fully ready, but the listeners are ready. So in today's <laughs> episode, we'll be covering Donnie Darko. A classic. Cult classic. This episode is uh, its pretty interesting because I feel like this is something that I'm less knowledgeable about. This, this might actually be more in your realm here. So you're probably going to have to do most of the heavy lifting. But Oh, oh goodness. That doesn't necessarily mean I won't have anything to say. So I guess I'll... Well, you know, let's start off with... The synopsis, incessant sleepwalking, family drama, and visions of a menacing six-foot-tall, doomsday prophesying, anthropomorphic rabbit plague a troubled teenager, Donnie Darko, in this cult classic. That was a hell of a That's mouthful, right. wasn't it? I know. <laughs> I, uh, um, oh, we're going to say? Oh, I was just going to say it's interesting because, well, I saw this movie for the first time in high school. I want to say around 2003-ish. It was right before the director's cut came out. And when the director's cut came out, I was thrilled. I didn't end up liking it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty excited. But I didn't actually realize that this movie came out a couple months after 9-11. And I could totally see how that would be completely problematic, considering that the plot centers around and was actually written around the idea of a jet engine crashing through someone's roof out of nowhere. How crazy is that, right? Mm-hmm. And that ended up actually really affecting the performance of the movie. The yeah. development of the movie began in late 1997 by director Richard Kelly. Um, and this movie, when it actually came out, 2001. So it's a yeah. few years before, you know, they're, he they're he, developing he came the up idea. With, he came up with the idea. He kind of built the story around it. But when he actually wrote it, he said it took him 28 days to write the script, which is the... Um, the time that it was supposed to take the world to end in the movie. So that's cool. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Yeah. 28 days. Yeah. I forgot what the, the full time was. Was it like 28 days, six hours, 12 minutes, something like that? Yeah. Something like that. 42 seconds or something, something like that. <laughs> Very specific, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, and what's pretty interesting too, is everything was shot in California. It was like shot all around various parts of California, Southern California. Uh, including L.A., Long Beach, and Santa Monica, and so actually, Virginia. this this morning, yeah. So the movie's actually supposed to be in Middlesex, Virginia, but they, I guess, they felt that in the areas that they shot it, it somewhat resembled Virginia. Well, I, I it's funny know. because they, you know, it was supposed to be in a nice suburb and everything, and um, 
it's supposed to you know show show the stupid life of suburbanites and stuff but um yeah they actually filmed in a really nice i guess suburban neighborhood in california mm-hmm. called like virginia country club or something like that so oh dang. so <laughs> yeah of course you know if it if it says virginia on the title then it must be accurate yeah exactly yeah, well, I guess Richard Kelly grew up in, in a, a suburban Virginia neighborhood or at least a suburban neighborhood, you know, out east or whatever. Mm. And he thought that that neighborhood in California resembled, and I guess it's supposed to resemble, Virginia. So Houses out there? Just normal houses? Suburban houses. Interesting. Yeah, I forget who, who was telling me. I think it was my friend Gillis, actually. So he grew up in, in Georgia, and he was saying that those those like big colonial houses are yeah. not uncommon over there and they're a lot more affordable so it's like you have like just oh, interesting you know like normal like middle class families uh occupying Living these houses. In huge houses and it's like acres you know it's like normal to just have a couple acres of land that's so cool and you got yeah you got you have like these uh, huge pillars in the front yard you know or in the, the front of the house and then you got like the of course like double doors for the main uh-huh. entrance and you got like multiple main entrances i guess so that way big, you could entertain big porch that wraps mm-hmm. around the whole house exactly yeah them filming the entire movie in california i was actually looking it up and the area is super nice like the the donnie darko house is actually in long beach Oh, and yeah, by our standards, that's a straight up mini mansion. Yeah. Like that would be super expensive. And yeah, actually, mul- you know, multi-million I, dollar status. Yeah. And while I was looking up this morning on Google Maps, um, I was just kind of taking a look around what the, the rest of the houses look like. So on one side of the street, it's like all mini mansions. And then on the other side, it's just normal one story houses. <laughs> that must be super weird for the neighbors. But you know what? That Darko house, whoever owned it, because... I guess in January 2021, when they rolled through, it was actually up for sale. I don't know if it still is, but wow. the uh, the owners at the time, it seemed like they, they took good care of it because it looks exactly like it does in the movie. Nice. Still white. Looks like a little mini White House. Yeah, I wonder if they feel pressure to keep it up because of the movie. Yeah, can you imagine living in that house? I, I feel like it'd be cool on one hand, but on the other, I don't want a bunch of randos just yeah, showing exactly. up and taking photos in my front yard. If you do allow people to come in at any time, then they would be expecting it to look like the movie. And if you decorated it differently, they'd be all disappointed. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, same here. These famous people, you know, like there's a whole history with, with this house. So you got like all these famous people that actually filmed in and around this house, but then it's like the house itself is almost a character because it's part of the movie, you know, like, Oh yeah. You have the whole like destruction and them lifting the jet engine out of the house and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's a character in the movie in and of itself. That's interesting. I never thought about that. So interesting, interesting, uh, thing to note about the cast. I think, cause I read, I was reading this article, uh, this interview with, uh, Richard Kelly mm-hmm. and, uh, he was talking about how, he was fresh out of college doing this movie um, that was that was uh, taken on by Drew Barrymore's Drew Barrymore's uh, production company, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, Flower Films. Yeah, and he was able to get all these great actors with rich histories in his movie. I mean, including you know Donnie uh, Donnie and his sister Elizabeth which was Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Right. And they were relatively unknown at the time, but they grew up in the film industry because both of their parents were in, were in the film industry were and, or are, I guess if they still are. 
Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they grew up in the film industry. Um, even if they, you know, at the time of filming, they were still relatively unknown in the public's eyes, I guess. Sure. Um, and so Richard Kelly was saying that he um, discovered that as long as he gave them enough direction to get a feel for their character, then they just kind of did their thing, and he was more learning from them than anything. What? Are you serious? Yeah. He He's, like, not even really directing them. He's just like, yeah, you guys tell me how to direct. Almost. He was still directing, but just enough. Just enough, and then he, he, you know, it was his first gig after college and stuff, so. How he awesome was, is that? He and was it's learning like, a lot. I know, it's really cool. And by normal standards, a, a budget of 4.5 mil, that's like nothing, right, for feature films, but for mm-hmm. your first movie, that's a hell of a budget. Holy shit. Yeah. And I do feel like you can kind of, you can kind of see how the inexperience of Richard Kelly kind of. It's prominent throughout the film, but you know, it, I don't think it, yeah. it really like ruins the film for me. It was just a, a couple things I noticed throughout. But yeah, yeah, that that is pretty interesting. That after Drew Barrymore was cast, like her production company decided to just fund the entire film. I mean, it's pretty cool, and I, w- I wonder if it you know if if it came out at a different time, or maybe if nine eleven had never happened, if it would have been a little bit more successful. You know what I mean? It definitely would have been a lot more successful, but. I'm I'm not sure how how successful necessarily. Like it it probably would have done at least I would assume Better. it's it's budget bag four point five <laughs> mil. You know, yeah. You almost get that by default. Which it eventually did. It eventually yeah. did. But After several re-releases and um, like yeah. DVD sales and stuff like that, or I guess it would be it would have been VHS back in the day. I don't know, maybe DVD. No, it was DVD. It was DVD. It wasn't that old. Donnie Darko's theatrically released from October twenty six. 2001 and left theaters April 11th, 2002, ending with a total gross of just $517,375. Wow. Well, all, you know, part of it also is because they didn't market it at all because of 9-11. Exactly. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was pretty ballsy, like how you're saying, like it was just six weeks after 9-11. So it was pretty ballsy of them to still go ahead with the release and instead of just holding on to it for a while. Yeah. They're like, hey, it would probably be fine. <laughs> It doesn't have that much plane crash in it. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the main plot elements is straight up like an airplane causing destruction. So, <laughs> yeah, not exactly great for that time. But how you're saying, yeah, after uh, reissues and it eventually went on to grow 7.6 mil worldwide and attracted Which a devoted nice. fan base. And I mean, everyone pretty much knows it for a cult classic now. But it's pretty interesting that it actually survived that. Also, a sequel, um, what was it, 10 years later or something? It was like 2013 or something like that. Oh, S. Darko. Yeah, about his little sister. And it's actually starring the same girl who played his little sister in Donnie Darko. I wasn't a huge fan. I saw it. And I wasn't a huge fan. It, you it's saw like it as tried... a, a huge fan of Donnie Darko. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they... It's like they tried to take, you know, the sci-fi elements in Donnie Darko and expand on it, but they kind of went, it's like they were trying too hard, I guess, in, in really? the, the way it seemed to me, because it, you've never seen it, right? Because you had never seen I Donnie never Darko. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the time travel thing happens in Donnie Darko one time, and in S. Darko, it's like they keep trying to use it to keep this crazy convoluted story going and i think i think 
time travel happens like three times in in that movie and the plot is nuts and really confusing and hard to follow and there's a lot going on and people are dying left and right and yeah it's just kind of weird spoiler alerts for s darka <laughs> right well spoilers that's what this is about that's kind of the the whole challenge to time travel movies or i guess just movies in general that involve like time and all that you know it it is difficult to make a coherent story and and try to keep that going with time travel yeah i agree but anyway back to the first one <laughs> so yeah we got we have jake gyllenhaal we have maggie gyllenhaal and you were saying they were relatively unknown at the time but yeah i i feel like jake actually had like some early success right like didn't he do a couple moves before donnie i think so i think he did you know one or two but he he wasn't huge yet you know what i mean he was just kind of just coming into the scene and then maggie was still he was just a young buck yeah exactly and maggie was still pretty i don't think she had dual not not that i remember that was the first thing i'd ever seen her in Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think that's probably the earliest performance that i've seen from maggie as well but that is I thought that was pretty cool that um, Maggie Joan Hall plays Elizabeth Darko, his sister in the film, and he, in she's life. actually his sister in real life. Yeah. yeah, she was just like a typical uh, sibling, big right? Sister, was she yeah. the older sister? Yeah, yeah she was big, big sister. sister. That's right. It's funny because they they kind of play a similar dynamic to us because you're you're my older sister, so Aww. it's like you know it's like you start off like butting heads and then eventually. You, you guys become like your best friends. Um, what'd you think of Donnie's relationship with Elizabeth? Did you feel like that was pretty realistic with Elizabeth? Um, it's like yeah. the typical, like budding, budding of heads. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, I'm actually trying to compare it to how we were back then. Yeah. It seems, I feel like, you know, siblings get on each other's nerves at some point, no matter what, even if they do get along well, but it seemed like they got along well. Right. They got along well and, in general, otherwise, you know? And they were pretty similar in age, right? Like, I would say maybe one or two years apart. Yeah, because she she had just gotten into Harvard before they threw their party, and so that means she was a senior, um, and Donnie was also in high school. And so, I, I mean, I don't think he was a freshman, so I would say at most two years apart. Did you have any dislike for for elizabeth like did you think she was kind of annoying or anything like no, that I or didn't, kind of a bitch no i didn't feel like that about her you know who was annoying though that stupid bitch kitty who's that one kitty <laughs> that is, one is mom that the, the gym teacher? teacher yeah oh yeah she was fucking annoying but i think she was supposed to be oh yeah she was definitely supposed to be but she was like overly overly religious and she was like just trying to like cram her beliefs down yeah, her she was, yeah exactly representing that 80s you know religious suburbanite situation just kind of manipulative nosy i also didn't think that uh elizabeth was was that annoying either but i i thought it was kind of interesting because when i was talking to michael about donnie darko the other day mm-hmm. he kind of remembers elizabeth as being bitchy he was like oh yeah the bitch older sister and then when i was watching it i was like, like i didn't I think, think she that. was that bitchy at all yeah i don't know maybe I personally didn't think, maybe i didn't think she was bitchy because older sisters are never bitchy <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, because I, I I feel like when we butted heads, it was more when we were younger, you yeah, know, definitely. like el- more like elementary school time, and uh-huh. then as we got older, then we're able to bond more. Yeah, I feel like around the time that we became teenagers, somehow we became best friends. Yeah, 
And I felt like she was only really bitchy to Donnie because he kind of caused it. Like he would just like yeah. say and do things that annoyed everyone, like the entire family. Oh yeah, he was pretty. And, he was pretty annoying. He did a good job at being the you know the angsty teenager. Oh definitely. I I have actually felt like Donnie was was super annoying early on in the film. I was yeah, like, he's like this quintessential spoiled, sheltered, hormonal. Uh-huh. intellectual rich kid you know yeah he always thinks he like knows er- uh, more than like everyone else and he always just has like something sarcastic to say and he's I, just apparently like, they call he's... that main character syndrome nowadays where like oh really yeah where like the main character is always a little bit more heightened and smarter and in the know than everybody else in the movie and that's exact donnie fits that perfectly you know i i get the sense that he was he was intelligent for sure mm-hmm. but I, I felt like he felt like he was smarter than everyone in the room. Yeah. The way he, that he was speaking to that motivational speaker guy, like he was just trying to like basically like undermine him, call him out, you know, in public and embarrass him. Yeah. It's like he always had to, you know, give into his... Stir the pot. Oh, yeah. He always <laughs> had to stir the pot. He always had to give into those impulses, uh, the, the chaotic impulses, you know, mm-hmm. always had to to put in his two cents when they contradicted what everybody else thought. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And it's pretty funny, too, because they kind of look similar, but not really. So it's like, imagine if they just, like, chose some, like, rando person to, to play I sister. And, and I feel I hate when that happens when they miscast a sibling. You're like, they don't look like they could be related at all. That actually reminds me of, um, oh, man. You, you remember my friend David Miller? When he was, like, 10 or 11, he was in a music video. But um, it, it, just, it just flashes on him for... A quick second but it's supposed to be him <laughs> and his quote-unquote parents like okay. he's supposed to it's supposed to be like a flash of a family and then it moves on the people that they had as qu- his quote-unquote parents look nothing like him <laughs> oh that's funny and i was like and he's the one who had to tell me like oh yeah we're supposed to be a family <laughs> and you're like in what world are you right? guys supposed to be a family we definitely can't go without mentioning Patrick Swayze being in the film because holy shit, you know, like such a big name being in this film and, big and playing such a, a, a small role too, like small speaking role. Yeah, small speaking role, but I don't want to say significant character per se, but his character has a huge impact. His character yeah. has a big impact, definitely. And Patrick Swayze plays Jim Cunningham, a successful self-help slash motivational speaker. Who apparently lives in the area. And then holy shit, like... When I was watching this movie, I'm like, this person's in that movie? That person's in that movie? Yeah. So we got Seth motherfucking Rogan. I know. As Ricky Danforth, just a hooligan student, you know? And I think this might have been like He was his... like the main bullies. The main bullies, you know, little crony or whatever. And so he wasn't right. even like the main bully or anything like that. He was just kind of there. And every he time, like, I, yeah, every time he was there, I'm like, hey, look, it's Seth Rogen. He had a couple lines or whatever, but that was pretty much it, you know? And this was just his, yeah, like, I think first uh, actual movie role. So that's yeah. pretty interesting. He he pretty much looks exactly like how he does in Freaks and Geeks. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have not. But pretty much exactly. Like, you, like they just plucked him fresh out of Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> and then, of course, Drew Barrymore as uh, Karen Pomeroy, one of the English teachers at the school. Yep. And then I was also surprised to see Jenna Malone... In this movie. Yeah, I forgot she was in it for a while. She's Gretchen Ross, a new student, a love interest to Donnie, and also reveals that she underwent uh, an identity change in the film, right? Yeah, because they're trying to um, get away from her abusive stepdad. So they moved there 
to escape and they changed their identities. Possibly witness protection. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know if that was if that was made clear in the film. No, it wasn't. After seeing like quite a few well-known actors, I'm like, holy shit. I had no idea any of them were in this film. Yeah, it's familiar cool faces. To see yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I was mentioning, I was like, man, this is a pretty star-studded cast here. Even though some, you know, some of them weren't exactly stars at that time. <laughs> it is a shame that they couldn't find a better looking uh, main character, though, huh? <laughs> like I was joking with you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They picked the best one. Jake's just so uh, painful to look at. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, he was my high school crush. <laughs> what was he in before? So October Sky... Wasn't that his first film? Oh, that he was did? it? Yeah, or I first guess major that makes film. sense. That was a huge film. And I think he even did Bubble Boy before this, both of <laughs> which were the movies I saw him in before I even saw Donnie Darko. Yeah. So my introduction to Jake Joan Hall was October Sky and Bubble Boy. Bubble Boy, one of which is, I wouldn't say it really aged too well. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't. I totally want to go back That's and see that That's kind of a product of its up. time. I do want to ask you, though. Uh-huh. Being a, a fan of Jake Hall, what was your favorite role? Um, man, that's a good that's a good question. I haven't actually seen a lot of his more recent stuff, but I happen to be looking. Would you probably at... say Donnie? No, I actually wouldn't. Um, I mean, he did a great job in that movie, but it wasn't my favorite. Probably Brokeback Mountain. Just kidding. Um, I mean, you know, if that if that was your favorite, then you know, he did do, he did do a great job in that, but. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't my I think a lot of people either. shit on that movie without actually having seen it. Oh yeah, I actually read the short story and saw the movie and yeah, pe- people people have a lot of a lot of assumptions. opinions about yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of opinions, a lot of assumptions. Really I actually be... haven't seen it myself, but I'm also not one to like shit on it and say like, "Oh, that movie's so stupid," this and that. Yeah, they they did a great job in it both of them. Uh, was it him and Heath Ledger, right? Heath, yeah. But I totally got this from dad. I have a a soft spot for natural disaster movies i love day after tomorrow i love that movie i love that movie i would say uh for my favorite role i loved nightcrawler nightcrawler is just uh that was an awesome performance by him he was such a i've never seen it i've never seen it but i wanted to actually yeah when i was when i was looking through his filmography and i passed it i was like oh i still need to see that one it was interesting subject matter in nightcrawler because it was just it's like how far are people willing to go for money and, and they're willing to just do it at the expense of other people's tragedies, you know? Of course. Also, another movie that I, I thought he did great in was End of Watch, which is a, a pretty gritty movie itself. Have you also seen that not, one? No, End I have not seen it. Yeah, he's like a police officer, and he he's really dedicated to, you know, just doing his job and protecting the people. And he kind of uh, uncovers something in the film, and oh. yeah, it, it gets pretty pretty deep. Um, you know how earlier you were mentioning you weren't like a huge fan of the the director's cut? Yeah. Can you kind of go a little bit uh, more into that? Like, what are the main differences of the, the theatrical and the director's? Honestly, I can't actually remember if there were added scenes or not because the whole thing is just is just kind of ruined for me be, um, by these the the movie's interrupted every so often by just a screen of text that you're supposed to stop and read what yeah and so i feel like it just really takes you out of the moment it takes you out of the mood i i don't know if his intention his intention was probably that it would add something to the film like you would get a little bit more information information, i guess but to me it just took me out 
every time. So it, it's kind of like how when it shows the timer and it says like this date and like this this much time left, but it's like more way more text than that. Oh yeah, it's just like it's like a whole paragraph you're supposed to read, and what you know it hell? would it would you know stop on that for long enough for you to read it, and so it's a while, you know, like a minute or something, and right. You know, I'm over here like, okay, can we just get back to the movie? And it does that several times throughout the movie. Yeah, it does it several times throughout the movie. And yeah, I feel like people were people were into the director's cut, but not me. You know what my theory is on that? I feel like people probably only liked it because you got a little bit more out of each scene. You know, like more backstory or whatever. But in terms of like the, the fluidity of the movie, it seems like it. It totally just ruined it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe I'll have to revisit it. I did not. I deliberately did not want to watch that version. Okay. So what, what version did you watch? I, I watched the regular non-director's cut version, the theatrical release version, I guess. Did you do what I did? I, I just watched it for free on the IMDb I TV. Sure did. <laughs> nice. And did you also get like a hundred commercials like I did? I don't think it was as bad as you described for me. I watched it on my TV. It, they were in the worst place, though. It was just like they were evenly spaced throughout the movie or something like that. And so it would just be like mm. mid-sentence. It would cut off and go to a commercial, you know? Yeah. From So my experience, um, it was the IMDb TV app via Amazon Prime Video. Oh, wow. And I, I definitely would not recommend that that version because like how you're saying it it's like in the middle of a scene like a a really tense or or yeah. a scene where they're kind of trying to set up something very important in the plot right and then it, it cuts you off for like three four minutes of just full-length commercials like full-length ads yeah and i'm just sitting here but like, at least there yeah even if there's commercials they're at least appropriately placed in whatever you're watching you know what i mean yeah like in, in between, between like a stuff. lull or something yeah. yeah when donnie is talking to his science teacher about time travel mm-hmm. and then at some point he he's like i can't continue this conversation and donnie's like why and then he says i cut to commercial <laughs> and then it comes the back we'll never know <laughs> and, then, and it comes back could lose my job. Oh my god! Like mid, literally wow. mid sentence. At the very least, they could at least like rewind it a little bit, so that way you get the full conversation. Seriously, yeah. I, think, I mean, you, I guess you can't complain because it's free. Yeah. For for us, mm-hmm. but yeah. And really, I could have watched it on DVD if I wanted to, but I only have the director's cut. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to actually talk about is um, I was just kind of you know reading up on it a little bit, seeing what other people were saying, you know, seeing if people thought it held up and stuff like that. And one thing that people kept saying is that um, Frank sends Donnie around doing a bunch of stuff to prevent an apocalypse. And I feel like was he though? I don't think so because I feel like <laughs> I, mean, I feel like you know Frank was sending around doing doing some stuff that you know impacted his community and and helped his community in ways, or at least helped himself. I feel right. like, you know I I don't I don't exactly know why he broke the water main in the school, but it kind of seems like it was just to just to get an opportunity to to talk to Gretchen it seemed like because he wouldn't have have, he wouldn't have been there to walk her home if school wasn't canceled that day and that's where I think the the whole like muddiness comes into play when it comes to movies that that involve time travel or or like manipulating time is that then these these moments that you're you're creating in the film like they have to be significant they have to be for a reason yeah and so i I figure they're maybe they were trying to say gretchen was vital you know because Mm -hmm. later on she does play a role so what he what he needed to do was 
was actually interact with her and get close to her. Otherwise, if he didn't do that, then maybe they would have never met. He would have never had either the courage to go talk to her or maybe he just didn't have the interest to go talk to her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like so maybe it was just kind of a, of a way of like forcing them. It's like, all right, well, since you guys aren't going to do it organically, exactly. I guess I got to take it in my own hands. Exactly. I got to so. take it in my own paws. But the way I always took it, even even since high school, the way I always took it was that um, when Frank said that, you know, in 28 days and, you know, all the rest of the time, the world is going to end. I took it as the world's going to end for Donnie, not the whole world. Like, I didn't feel like there was a looming apocalypse coming and he was saving the world from it somehow. I feel like he it was just for him, you know? Going back and thinking about it, I feel like there were a lot of moments in the film that I was kind of confused. Even like the opening scene when he so he like wakes up in the middle of like some mountain trail uh-huh. in his PJs. And he, I mean, he seems confused. Of course, I'm going to be confused because I'm going in and I don't know what the hell is going on. So I'm like, OK, you know, I'm just letting the scene play out. He just like looks off into the distance, smiles for whatever reason, and then just starts like riding miles. It seems like he's like riding down this mountain for like 15 miles <laughs> and then and just rides all the way home. Yeah, well, actually, he must be in good shape. I feel like I feel like, uh, well, I'm, sh- I'm sure he biked everywhere. So he's probably just used to it. I, yeah, I feel like that was just, set, you know, setting up his sleepwalking problem that he already had. But what did that smile mean? I. I don't know. He was. I. I. I was. I kind of just took it as. Oh, he was just like. Oh, this again. Interesting. Like he was almost amused by sleepwalking because yeah. it seemed like he was kind of annoyed by it. Like he's because he never knew where he was going to wake up. I imagine that's how it'd be. But I mean, even his whole family knew. You know, like they had they had written on the whiteboard when he got home on the fridge. Where's, Where's Donnie? Donnie? And you know, he comes in, and you know, nobody's surprised. Everyone's just like, oh, there you are, kind of thing. You know, where were you there? How are they not concerned that he was just gone? And he's like just out sleepwalking somewhere I they're not like he's gonna get himself killed he's gonna like ride off the side of this mountain i guess that because you know i, I totally i totally felt that too particularly when the jet engine crashed through his room and everyone was just standing out in the front yard and then when he finally shows up they're just like oh okay good there you are kind of thing like nobody was really mm-hmm. like they're just like oh my gosh you know the jet engine crashed through your room and la- kind of laughing about it and stuff laughing about it i would yeah i would have been freaking out like as a parent i would have been like where's my son we need to find him now. You know, we're not just going to stand mm-hmm. around, wait, you know, search through the rubble, make sure his body isn't there, and then try and figure out where the heck he is. And I need to locate my son, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But they that's were what not... any normal person would do. Well, I'm wondering if it had something, because I know, obviously, you know, growing up in the, in the 90s and stuff, it was a totally different mm-hmm. time. Like, we would just leave and, you know, go hang out with our friends all day in you know, our parents wouldn't even know where we were, but they didn't really care. They would just trust that we'd be home for dinner. Yeah. And so this was even earlier than that in, in 88. And so I'm wondering if maybe it was just a little bit safer on top of them already being used to this pattern from him. And so they just wanted if all that, that family also just left their front door open. Probably. Just you know? like, yeah, no one's going to walk in. And especially being Why a, would they? You know, a nice suburban neighborhood where everybody knew each other. You know, he, he mm-hmm. gets woken up on the golf course and everyone's just like, oh, it's Donnie Darko. You know, it's another thing, too. I almost thought that he would start sleepwalking because of the whole, like, he, he was, like, chosen to save the world or whatever, like, prevent the, the apocalypse. But um, it seems like he, he's been doing that for, like, most of his life. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. like, a good chunk of his life. And then frank starts showing up later like he almost like takes advantage of his sleepwalking Mm -hmm. to like communicate with him or like manipulate him somehow yeah and so i feel like that's another question you know is is all this really happening or is it just part of 
Donnie's schizophrenia, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what it was? Do you think it it wasn't like someone reaching out to him from the future? It was it was just kind of like him warning himself. Like, do, do you think he had some sort of like precognition or like some sort of like premonition subconsciously? Yeah, I that's that's actually my question, which I don't really have an answer to. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that the time travel thing didn't happen or anything like that because I feel like that you know it 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 did. But um, I wonder if you know in the the part where he can start seeing people's paths coming out of their chest and stuff like that. I was thinking like, is that is that a product of his condition or you know his? I was thinking maybe it's just like something his his awareness becomes heightened because he's you know, close to the end of his world, close to death. And so maybe he's seeing mm. things that normal people can't see. Like his abilities are, are now being drawn out of him. Yeah. Kind of thing. Interesting. Um, okay. I don't know. I had a, a, a few theories like that when I, as I was watching it and, and since it wasn't my first, definitely not my first time watching it, I guess I was able to mm. different think, take on uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Think a little bit deeper on some of these, some of these things. Yeah, that's what I like about going back and watching movies that we've seen before is like you get to instead of just absorbing it all in one go, it's like you you already know what's happening. So you can kind of look for for other clues or signs or something, some information in the background or at least think a little bit deeper on on each scene. Exactly. Was was this your first time seeing it? This was my first time. So I've, was I've it seen really? well seen it all the way through. I've seen oh, chunks okay. of it, but I've never ever seen it all the way through from start to finish. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen the end. Luckily, so I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't okay. ruin it for myself. But I would. Yeah. yeah I'll see like just chunks in the middle, and I did already know about the jet engine thing falling yeah. into the house, and like how it would have killed him if he was there. This and that, and that kind of supposedly like started a chain of events. So what did you what did you think about it? I definitely think that it was it was a solid film and it was it was an interesting subject matter. Mm-hmm. I, but I did feel like some points in the movie I was I was a little iffy about. I was like, okay, like for me there were a couple like what the fuck moments which I think I'll I'll get to at some point. Even just like I was watching it and taking it at I don't know, I guess value. like the face value, but almost I don't want to exactly say face value because I am kind of studying the scenes as well. I'm not just like taking it in for the first time kind of Yeah, thing. for the first time and then just uh just going off of that. Like I I was I did look up, you know, like um the the background of the movie and all stuff and of course I didn't you know, I didn't read the the entire storyline, but I, I went in knowing that it was a cult classic, so I, I almost felt like my expectations were a little bit heightened. I was mm-hmm. actually talking to Michael about that the other day. I was like, I don't know if that that may have hurt the movie in in my opinion, but I, I definitely felt like it it kind of affected in some way. Where if I had seen it back then, where no one knew about the movie, no one saw yeah, the there movie. Yeah, there's no expectation. I feel like yeah, heightened any sort of heightened expectation will dull the experience a little bit. You know, unfortunately, that's you know that's just kind of the nature of it. This movie definitely uh, resonated with people in some way. So I, I kind of had that in the back of my mind as I was watching it. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I, I can definitely see where this movie resonated with a lot of people. Like I was saying, it's, it was an interesting subject matter. And it was it some, some trippy events. And, you know, you got Frank, who's like iconic. Just that look, that like the bunny creepy suit ass stuff. bunny yeah. suit. Yeah. I was a little disappointed by like the voice though. I'm like, what the fuck is this lame ass voice that they have for <laughs> Frank? I'm like, he has a cool look and you know, it's like a, it's like a creepy presence that Frank has. But then when he's talking to him, it just sounds like some like normal teenager that they just kind of edited slightly. Yeah. They, I mean, 
you, you eventually find out that Frank is his older sister's boyfriend. And it's just, you know, him and his and his buddy, you know, driving I, I drunk or whatever. I wasn't thinking that Frank was never going to be revealed. So it was, hmm. that also was a little like, oh, okay. It's just like some like lame teenager dude. Okay. So that, th- oh, no, that, was, that was a little weird. Killed. Yeah. I think that's why he's there, you know, because he's connected to Donnie through that. Um, also another thing I noticed was like, what the hell was up with the, the font that they used? Like when, when you have the title yeah. card and like when it shows the dates, I'm like, is this like some like two thousands Arabian nights TV that's film ex- font? That's exactly what I thought. I thought <laughs> like, it looked like an Arabian nights inspired font. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know why I noticed little details like that, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, that font kind of bugged me. But I think the, the soundtrack was good. Yeah, the soundtrack was good. I, I didn't have any issues with the soundtrack. Um, one of the things that the little details also bugged me too was it seemed like everyone seemed to refer to Donnie as like his full name. They're like, oh, this is Donnie Darko. Hey, <laughs> yeah, Donnie Darko, come here. Donnie Darko. And I'm like, does no one just say Donnie? You know? Or like, flows. oh, Mr. Darko, come here. Donnie Darko. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it rolls off the tongue. But even with Donnie's siblings, no one ever calls Elizabeth Liz. No one ever calls Samantha Sam. They always just kind of refer to them by their full names. And I'm like, well, Donnie doesn't get his full name. His name is actually Donald. Yeah, Donald. Yeah. Why does Donnie not refer to his siblings by like a nickname? I almost feel like that that would never happen for any normal sibling relationship. You know, like for me, calling you Stephanie is weird. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I feel like he would would probably call her Liz or something. Right, yeah. Lizzie. So weird. Yeah, I, I just thought little things like that, like... I don't know, maybe the dialogue could have been tightened up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like how we're saying, this was the director's first feature film, Richard yeah. Kelly. So he wrote it in 28 days. Yeah. Oh, another thing that I, I thought was kind of weird, too, because, you know, for us, it, it seemed like the Darkos were a pretty wealthy family. I don't know if they were necessarily, like, rich, but... They were at least, it you seemed know, like they're, they're solid pretty middle well class, you know, like higher middle class. I'll, yeah, I would definitely say upper middle class with a house like that. Yeah. And um, so apparently they're not that know, expensive in Virginia. And like everyone around them, it seemed like they were all wealthy. Like all the people that they kind of like the parents kind of hung out with or, or associated with were, mm-hmm. were pretty wealthy. So I wonder if maybe the Darkles could have been looked down on because they were like barely in that you class. That, you know, yeah. like they're you got like they were considered like the the poor people of like the rich community or something yeah and then obviously everybody knew that donnie had some sort of issues whether they knew what those issues were or not everybody knew that donnie had some sort of issues and so they're probably kind of looked down on for that too you know because yeah you know mental health is often stigmatized today even you know and so back then it was probably oh he's different yeah he wasn't he taking medication and all that and he was like going to therapy yeah. So he was taking the proper steps, you know, like he was actually trying to address it or like his parents were trying to address it. I don't know yeah. if that was against his will so or, I did or think, whatever. I did think his his therapist was full of shit. She seemed like she... She didn't know what she, she was doing. I feel like she seemed like she didn't know what she was doing, even though, I mean, sometimes she, she was, you know, on the right path or on the right track or whatever. But then, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I can't remember just off the top of my head something, anything specific, but... A lot of times I just felt like she was just talking out of her ass to sound smart. And she really didn't know. She, I feel like she really didn't know what was going on with Donnie, really. And that hurt his progress. Yeah, I, I definitely felt like, you know, he did need some help 
and he was, you know, he was trying to do the right thing by going to therapy, but you know, sometimes you got to shop around for therapists. Like you're not going to just like, like any therapist is not going to be the perfect one for every situation or every person. Like you have to find someone that, that works the best for you. And I felt like maybe, maybe back then it, those resources weren't as widely available because I felt like back, back then mental health just wasn't people, people kind of looked down upon. It was stigmatized. Like how you're saying. And, and I feel like, you know, if you were going to a therapist, only like the quote unquote, worst cases were going to a therapist and so donnie was up there with you know mm-hmm. the quote-unquote worst cases and so um because like just you know everyday people with everyday problems weren't going to therapists back then yeah that was something um, that I, I felt like i could sympathize with donnie because in my high school days i i definitely went through some shit like i i remember had a lot of mental health issues as well and yeah, you could have used like- a therapist back then <laughs> I feel like even to this day, it's it's like, you know, like certain things that, that I struggle with, like depression and stuff. Like mm-hmm. in, in high school, that was the main factor of why I didn't finish. Like I stripped, dropped out of high school because I had like major uh, depression, social anxiety and all that. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Like I don't, I don't know if um, you wanted to like share anything like your experiences or anything like that but i felt like as a guy and especially like in high school and all that stuff like you're you're really self-conscious about a lot of things and that was a taboo subject like you don't want to admit yeah, that like, you had any mental health issues um yeah because i i also um i also struggled with depression in high school um all the way up to having suicidal thoughts which is what landed me in therapy briefly i went to a therapist i think for I want to say like it wasn't even that long. It was like two or three times, to be honest. And then my therapist moving to a different facility or something like that. And so switched me over to another therapist. And I didn't like that. So I just never went back. Oh, I see. Did you Um, ever feel uncomfortable about talking about your issues? Because for me, I was so self-conscious and so antisocial that I... Yeah, you wouldn't have wanted to talk about it. I wouldn't have wanted to talk to anyone. And and it would have definitely helped me to probably be comfortable talking about it. I think that's that's the thing that you were saying that you were, you know, you're a guy and this and that. And I feel like um, guys... to admit stuff like that, you know, like... Yeah, guys are raised to you know, not show their emotions to be a man, to bottle all, you know, all that toxic masculinity stuff. And so I feel like it's, it's becoming more frequent now, you know, therapy is becoming normalized, which is nice a little bit more, but definitely back then, you know, guys weren't supposed to talk about their feelings. They weren't supposed to talk about their, their issues or their emotions. And so I feel like a lot less guys were probably going to therapy than girls, you know? Mm. And do do you feel like it was more difficult to to get that help back then? Like it was, it just wasn't as widely accessible as it is now. I think so. Yeah. I mean, nowadays there there are a lot of resources. Not only can you find a therapist relatively easily, I hope, but um, they also have online services now. Like um, there's better help that I can think of off the, off the top of my head. You 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 have to pay a certain amount, and then you'll get access to a therapist. You'll be able to do like weekly video sessions, but you can also like text them 24 seven and, and this and that. And, um, and so I thought that was, you know, pretty cool that they're, they're really trying to normalize all this. Right. Yeah. And actually my, I don't know if you remember, um, from band, my fellow flautist, Megan Martinez, she's also a therapist. Flautas? Flautist. That's (laughs) what a flute player is called. A flautist. (laughs) That's another thing too. Was I think that that kind of attributed to to my condition in high school was I just I never felt like I fit in anywhere. You know, I was yeah. I was a little 
I was a little envious of you because it seemed like you you were able to eventually find like the crew that you you fit in with. But even though I was in band, I felt like I never really fit in with the the band geeks either. It's I was like, man, if I, can't, if I can't even fit in here, then I, I can't fit in anywhere. <laughs> if you can't fit in with all these nerds. It's funny that you say that because despite what you think, I didn't feel like I fit in with them either. I mean, I know I had friends and stuff, but I didn't keep in touch with any of them after high school. You know, I was I was jumping around different schools. Like I was trying out the online school and I went to continuation school and all that stuff. And then yeah. eventually I just I gave up and. I dropped out. Well, you've come so far since then. Look at me now. I'm famous. I'm doing a movie podcast. I would, I would say, I know. <laughs> totally. Maybe at some point we'll move into that Donnie Darko house. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> even though like, I wasn't even like a, like a, a huge fan of the movie or anything like that. I'm just like, but yeah, you, I need to move into this house. house. <laughs> the house. Yeah. I mean, that the was house your favorite, gorgeous. your favorite character. It is. It's a pretty house. It's a great house. Trying to, trying to bring this back. Cause that was a, a little bit of a therapy session there. I know. Right. So bringing it back and, and trying to liven up a bit. Um, what did you think of the only Asian character in this movie? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what were they trying to do? And it's funny because like, I feel like she didn't even look, look that Asian in the movie, but she totally is. She's super Asian. And as, as a matter of fact, I think she's part Japanese, if not, you know, more is than she? more than part. Yeah, because her middle name is Aiko, which is a Japanese name. Dude, it was that chowed up scene had me <sighs> rolling. I was like, what the fuck? It was had that? me cringing. <laughs> <laughs> like she speaks relatively normally otherwise, but then they have her saying that. And I'm just like, I've never heard that ever in my life. I know. And I feel like Shut they're just up. trying to like. I feel like they're just trying to. <laughs> I feel like they're trying to stereotype, and they were doing it terribly. You know what I mean? Dude, that that was a pretty terrible attempt at depicting an Asian accent. Like I've, mm-hmm. I don't know, like where they may have thought they heard that term, but like I've ne- anyone with an accent, I've never heard. Shut up. I know that was freaking and that was hilarious. the only thing she said with an accent. I mean, I think she had a little bit of an accent otherwise, but she still spoke normally. You know. And she says it again. That's like her catchphrase. She mm-hmm. says it again later on in the film, right? Like, doesn't oh, like yeah, Donnie like take her headphones or something? And she's like, "Shut up!" And she like runs away. Oh yeah, he's like holding her face, and he's like, "It'll get better." <laughs> oh man, that was so funny. And you know, now that I think about it, this was a pretty much entirely Caucasian movie, wasn't it? Yeah, she was supposed to be the diversity, I guess, and it was. Yeah, it she was, was the token like Asian person. I mean, as much as as much as I like the movie, that was terribly done. I, um, I did have a. a Kind of related question, though, I guess. Um, uh-huh. I was wondering if you thought it held up. You know, all in all, yeah, it was it was a solid film. Like, I, you know, I've said that before already, but I, I felt like despite little minor details like that and like, you know, of, of course, that that depiction of that that random like Asian character, which I felt like she was kind of pointless like other than to just be a token asian person I she know. didn't even need to really be in the film but um yeah that that shut up scene was iconic oh lordy and of course the the cgi the that was pretty bad with like the little bubbles coming out of people's chests or whatever like the yeah. path that was pretty bad but um all in all you know because of the fact that they didn't rely on on cgi for most of the movie I think mm-hmm. it held up. I think it held up pretty well. For for those people that are like really into it and you know they they love the film and and the storyline and all that, I, I could definitely see them going back to watch it like every every year or maybe every couple of years or something like just revisit it. Like I felt like you know does it hold up? Yes and no to me. You know, mm-hmm. um, so again like you know like we said some of the some of the 
you know, cringy parts like that or um, miss some of the plot points that, that were kind of iffy on making sense and stuff like that. But I feel like it captured that uh, the teen angst and the, the teen problems pretty well. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. those are pretty timeless. Like every, regardless of what decade you're living in or coming from, you you had those problems when you were a teenager. Yeah, like the, I guess the, the quote unquote bitchy moments for Elizabeth Darko. Um, well, at the dinner scene, I felt like that was justified because they're talking about like getting pregnant or whatever, right? And then Samantha's <laughs> like, when can I... I get pregnant or I forgot what, what exactly how she phrased it. But um, Donnie was like, you know, not until eighth grade or, or whatever. And then she was oh, like, yeah. she was like, Donnie, what the fuck? Um, you know, that was justified. And I don't think that was her being bitch at all. That was just like, don't fucking put these thoughts in her, her yeah, mind. You know, yeah, she's still, totally. she's still like she's still young little. and she, she might actually take that to heart. Yeah. And then look how Donnie she turned out. Just Starco. A she, bitch, she's yeah. a fucking mess. And that's Starco. <laughs> <Pretty apparently. much. laughs> yeah. Like, I think there was like another moment where she, she kind of, butts heads with uh donnie but it was very brief i don't think she was ever really like that bitchy she wasn't like a bully to him i feel like yeah, she was kind of the only one that called him out on his bullshit his sometimes. Shit. yeah yeah exactly like the 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 mom i think would kind of like have like an uncomfortable look and the dad just straight up didn't care at all like he didn't give yeah. a shit i felt like the parents could have also played a role like they could have done more to help him like the mom was you know she was she was basically forcing like him should, to go to therapy the mom, sessions. The but. mom was like trying to maintain their image, and the dad. Well, was it when he when was it when he called out Jim Cunningham or told the gym teacher to shove the book up her ass or whatever? And he, yeah, and the dad was laughing. Dude, he was just like, "That was great." Exactly. How does one suck a fuck? Suck a fuck. I mean that <laughs> that was his uh, his comeback, right? Like she was she was giving yeah. him shit, and he said, "You can go suck a fuck." No, she said that, and he said. Exactly how does one suck a fuck, Elizabeth? <laughs> was that her? I thought she was making fun of him. She was like, really? Like, who the fuck says that? No, she totally said it. That was funny. If you ever seen that show, Silicon Valley, the, the main character guy, he's like really super awkward. And he just like says weird shit sometimes. Random stuff and like that. One of the things he said was, kiss my piss. <laughs> At least it rhymes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to use that. So, um, you definitely have to mention the the house burning down right the arsonist oh, moment because that was that was a uh, patrick swayze's character right um jim cunningham and yeah. so donnie controlled by frank he ends up burning down the house and what does that end up revealing uh an apparent kitty porn dungeon which um it feel it seems implied that he was also he had the the space set up to film kitty porn actually interesting so it was wow. worse than just having a collection Right, right. Like he was actually like producing it. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. That's what it, that's what it seemed to be implied, if I re- recall correctly. So yeah, it was just a, it was a lot worse than him just having an extensive collection. You know, he was actually involved. And how you're saying like, does that have any effect on the this whole like supposed doomsday, or was that just like Frank? You know what? We sh- since we're here and I'm like manipulating time and all that stuff, like I might as well just out this guy for his uh, his kitty porn. It was just helping the community sort of thing and, and completely outing this horrible, horrible person. What'd you think of Drew Barrymore as a teacher? Cause I thought she was kind of a bad teacher. I thought she was okay. I mean, she's, she, I feel like she's like typical Drew Barrymore. What was her, that whole thing when like Gretchen, you know, she's like the new student. She comes in, she's like, yeah, they sent me to the wrong class. And she said, sit down next to the guy that you you're most attracted to. Yeah. The guy that you think is cutest. She like straight up put her on blast. I was like, what the fuck is that? 
first off, like, you know, in this day and age, that wouldn't fly because it's like she's assuming her sexual orientation. Yeah. Straight up putting her on blast and like saying like now whoever she sits next to, they're going to be like, ooh, look at those two. Start exactly. some rumors. Yeah, definitely. I think um, something that would have flown more <laughs> back then did things for their own reasons rather than to prove any sort of point or whatever, um, like punishment mm-hmm. sort of things. They just, you know, play favorites and that, that sort of thing. And she definitely didn't like that that one student because she was, like, fucking annoyed by that student. She, and she stripped, kicked her out of her chair so that way Gretchen can sit down next to Donnie. I don't think yeah, I don't think she had any particular feelings towards any particular student. But I do feel like she was always trying to be meaningful. I mean, she was that, like, English teacher that was always trying to make some sort of deeper point. And so I feel like it was one of those moves. Oh, interesting. And then eventually she, she gets fired because... Um, I guess she's just not doing a good job or something. Well, she was, I, I kind of took it as she was um, more progressive than the other teachers. Like she wasn't fitting inside that conservative, you know, suburban Middlesex, Virginia bubble. And, you know, she was, you know, having them read these stories with controversy. And um, I feel like she was, I feel like she was just creating too much controversy. And so they're just trying to get rid of her for that. You know what I mean? And then when she left, she she left some words on the the chalkboard. So Donnie was like in class, yeah. and uh, he's like, "What the hell is this?" Like she just wrote "cellar door" on the whiteboard or on the blackboard. Yeah. And um, her explanation was that she she heard that those were considered the most beautiful uh, words. Some, or, some, or, yeah, some linguist was like said a beautiful that, term. Yeah, I have heard that. I have actually heard that. Cellar door. That's, so that's, really? a, that's a real thing, yeah. Huh. Some some someone's decided that at least to them, cellar door was a beautiful, the most beautiful phrase or whatever. And they actually work that into the plot because later on in the film, the he darkos the have to, to celebrate Elizabeth getting into was it Harvard? Yeah, they have the party. They have they have this like huge house party, which I didn't even know the darkos were like popular enough to even have that many friends show up right. to the house party. I think it was uh, Elizabeth's doing. Yeah, maybe maybe she was more popular. And um, Gretchen, by this point, she was already she was dating Donnie. She comes over and says, hey, I'm scared. Like my mom's missing. And I think it's my stepdad, you know, my violent stepdad. And then they, after that, after she reveals that, they like have sex. That's what's implied. And yeah, but I feel like <laughs> what the, the whole, fuck? <laughs> her, her problematic childhood and it doesn't really drive any of the plot. That's what I was saying. Like a couple of things in the plot that were, that were weird, but that's one of the things where it's just like, they have this, they have this character, they have her background, but it doesn't do anything for the plot except send her over to his house during the party, which she was probably invited to anyway. So instead of like like trying to look for her mom who could potentially be murdered, she was like, you know, I'm just gonna have sex with this boy. I like, okay, yeah, in in the height of her emotions, and then promptly get killed afterwards. Yeah. So then that that's where the cellar door comes in because that's when Donnie kind of puts two and two together, and he's like, oh, maybe they want me to go to that that old lady's house. You know, that the one that's almost always getting ran over every single day to check her mail which i don't know why her mailbox is across the street why like why yeah, does she weird. need to cross the street to check her mail yeah but um yeah he like goes to her house and checks the cellar door and they when they go inside apparently the the bullies are like robbing her at the same yeah. time for whatever reason like they feel like she might have something valuable so this is what i thought was kind of comical so seth's friend his name is his character's name is actually seth seth yeah so it's seth and seth um, they they basically they like jump him, beat him up or whatever. Uh, Seth Seth's actually Seth Rogen is the one that's responsible for killing Gretchen, right? 
because he like throws her into the middle of the street and she's like the wind gets knocked out of her and then uh they like run off the she gets run over by a car because that car almost runs the lady over diverts out of the way and like runs over gretchen who's still on the ground and like yeah. you know he, he would have never been able to even see her exactly and then that's where it's revealed that frank is driving the car the one that's yeah. been like leading Team him frank. during his uh sleepwalk sessions and you know it's funny because andrew was actually andrew watched it with me and he was arguing that it wasn't frank's fault and i disagreed because if frank was driving under the influence mm-hmm. and maybe he was driving a little too fast in you know a residential area i don't know but sure. he, he he killed her he did he i mean he actually was the one to like physically kill her but i felt i would almost feel like I would was, blame Seth, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen's yeah. fault. Because, like, if he didn't, like, throw her on the ground and, like, knock the wind over, she, been, she wouldn't have even been in the way. Yeah. But it's, like, all that happened, you know, for, for a reason. And that was, and then, like, Gretchen was supposed to die. Yeah, and Donnie, in, in the height of his emotion, kills Frank with the gun that his chest path led him to in his parents' room. He's he somehow, like, found where they were hiding the gun, which wasn't even locked. It was just in, like, a little box. Yeah, you know, that kind of makes me wonder, too, because he can see the chest path and this and that. And like I said, I was wondering if it was, you know, a product of his mental issues or if it was something that he was actually seeing on his verge of death or whatever, um, his his heightened senses or something. But I'm thinking, like, it's it looks like it's implied that he didn't know the gun was there and his chest path led him to the gun. That's what I got, too, yeah. However, I'm like, as a kid, every kid, like, digs through all their parents' stuff. Everything they could find as a kid. It was, like, hidden on the ground. It wasn't even, like, I up, know. out of the way. Especially how not hidden it was. I feel like he probably already knew it was there. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, interesting. You think so? I feel, I feel, I mean, obviously, that's not implied in the movie or anything at all. But, like, seriously, every kid goes through their parents' stuff at some point. And, you know, that gun was not hidden anywhere. It was just on the ground in a box. And so yeah. he probably knew it was already there. Interesting. And that's also irresponsible by the parents. I know. 80s. <laughs> I don't know. So now, you know, Donnie's like, he's distraught. Gretchen's dead. And his first thought is to drive her to like a lookout point. Oh, also shout out to that little bowl where they keep the car keys at Donnie's house because there's a <laughs> Blockbuster card in the background. Blockbuster membership card. They keep it in the bowl of keys. Yeah. But yeah, he like takes her body instead. Well, he, like he actually carries her home. He first he yeah, carries her home. He and carries then puts her home. Her in the car. Then his first instinct is to grab the, his parents' well, car keys. Well, I think he, he sees the portal kind of starting to form over his house. Oh, there's like a vortex over the house. Yeah. Yeah, and so he he puts her in the car and drives off and kind of looks at the whole thing from a distance. Actually, sees the plane fly through it and lose its engine. So what what was the point? Like, what was he hoping to accomplish? By this point, was the the whole like time travel thing? already in effect like did he know did he have to like drive to that lookout point to trigger it he i don't think he knew he was supposed to drive i think he was just he knew his time was up he didn't know what was going to happen but he saw something happening and so he's like you know i'm just going to come over here and watch the world end with my dead girlfriend oh so he 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 wasn't sure what what exactly was going to happen you know what this is my favorite spot in this town and i'm with my favorite person so if we're gonna if i'm gonna die just let it be like this yeah because he didn't know how the world wasn't gonna end okay quote unquote he was just, you know, told that the world was going to end and he knew the time was up. And that was why he started freaking out at the party and he had to go to Roberta Sparrow's house. He felt like he needed to do something. something. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knew the time was the, the clock was ticking. Time was running out. And so, yeah, he I think he was just, you know, just at the end, he was just 
you know, all I have nothing left right now. Like he, probably how he felt, whether it was true or not. And he's like, I'm just going to come over here and watch the world burn. However, it's going to go down. The wormhole was going to happen either way. Like, I don't know what exactly he, he did. The The only thing that really needed to happen was he, he was going to burn down that pedophile's house. So that way he can uh-huh. get arrested. That teacher would then like testify at the trial. So she couldn't take the dance troupe, the sparkle motion, uh-huh. right? Oh that Samantha Darko was in. They couldn't go to LA to compete. So then Donnie's mom had to fly had with to Samantha. So then on and their the way their way back into town, they actually go through that wormhole funnel thing above their house and it rips and off the engine, the engine and it gets yeah. sent back in time and that's what triggers the, the time travel? I suppose so. My question is how the heck did Donnie end up back there because he wasn't anywhere near it because he was in the car looking at it from a distance. And on top of that, when if it went back in time and had the same events happen, he would have been sleepwalking. But like now, miraculously, he's like in his bed and he's well, actually, like aware. I think he because maybe like that that times version of him was actually out there sleepwalking. You know, maybe not because. Or maybe that was before. Yeah, because then slept, he would have died. Yeah, I guess he, he must have been before he sleptwalked. But oh, he was still aware. Okay. Like you know, he he. However, he ends up in the vortex and time travels back into his bed. Mm-hmm. He was lying there laughing because he knew what happened. And I think he realized at that point, like, oh, this is what the world ending is. I'm going to die right now. Interesting. That's why I, was, I wasn't sure if either was like when with the whole world ending thing. My question was, do you think that the end of the mm-hmm. world was actually that? the whole world? Or do you think the end of the world was Donnie's world? Because just just Donnie. I wasn't I wasn't quite sure if like maybe Donnie needed to die otherwise if he had lived from that jet engine falling down then like the rest of the world would have come to an end somehow like it would have been some some strange butterfly effect. Yeah, I feel like it was not that big. Like I feel like it was that's why I question whether this was all just in his head because it seemed very centered on him and just his life, you know what I mean? And it's not like he was a super influential piece of the world you know what i mean he's just like another and yet it seemed like he he had some sort of significant effect on other characters in the film because you know they do like this montage of like after donnie's death um people are like living their normal lives and everything's fine he you know it it has a all the people that he did affect during that 28 days that he would have lived um kind of waking up like what the heck you know yeah they just, they just kind of feel something. They feel something and they all wake up. Or they maybe they're already awake. I don't know. But he did have a little bit of impact on his community. And, you know, obviously with him dying, that impact is gone. Is negated, yeah. And so, so maybe, yeah, maybe Jim Cunningham will never be outed and he can go on with his, his uh, horrible, horrible ways and whatnot, which is probably the biggest thing. The biggest thing because everything else was kind of just for him, like him breaking... Well, you know, if if I'm right, like him breaking the water main in the school was just for him to start a relationship with Gretchen. With Gretchen. And obviously, oh well, yeah, Jim, Jim Jim Cunningham won't get outed, but also um, Frank and Gretchen will both live. That's true. And so his, like his impact was just on a few people, you know, not necessarily the whole wide world. Um, I feel like it was, you know, the all of it was just about him yeah and you know to him you know to him he's probably pretty significant so it's a big deal but you know to the rest (laughs) of the world at large i'm kind of a big deal to myself (laughs) right so yeah like to the rest of the world at large i think he it wouldn't have made that much of a difference like i don't think the whole world is ending just because he lived well when he went back in time and he he kind of found out what the date was and what time it was and and how everything 
was rewound and he started laughing. Do you think that his his joy was that Gretchen would be alive again, or do you do you think like he wanted to die? Do you think he I don't knew feel he was like, gonna die? I, I feel like it was like an ironic humor kind of thing. Like he was he was just like, oh, this is what it all meant, and he's kind of hysterically laughing from that. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. Like he comes to realize like, oh, the world is ending. My world is ending. Holy crap! This was it. This was all of it all along. He's like that was it. It's just like me dying. Yeah. And you know, in in a way, I felt like he was he was uh, fine with that. You know, he was like, well, if I have yeah, to die in order too. for Gretchen yeah. to live, then you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yes, I agree with that. That is a wrap, folks. If you made it to the end of our podcast, then you are now an honorary member of Sparkle Motion. Oh yay! <laughs> now don't don't make us doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. All right. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts or closing comments? It's interesting, yeah, because that that was a a movie that I feel like kind of defined my teenagehood in a sense, and it was it was fun to revisit it, uh, you know, find out what I as a full grown adult see what I liked and disliked about it now. So that was that was a fun experience. Yeah, definitely, and and even the very end of Donnie Darko was pretty cool because you got the sense that. Gretchen when she does that weird like awkward like wave to the mom because you well she's talking to the neighbor across the street first and he's like yeah, yeah. you know that's the Donnie got killed like some engine fell out of the sky or whatever and he's uh-huh. like did you did you know Donnie and she's like no I didn't know Donnie and then she like does that awkward wave to the mom and the, you kind of get the sense that like they feel like they there's like, like some deja vu yeah They're like they, do we they, know each other like I don't know exactly so in another timeline, they would have known each other. Maybe that maybe they'll expand on that in the supposed sequel that Richard Kelly is working on. Go more into the mechanics of all of all the the time travel, the science fiction and stuff. You know, as of uh, 2017, I think that's that's the last update that I saw. Richard Kelly was saying that he had uh, ideas for a bigger and more ambitious true sequel to Donnie Darko. Yeah. I did see that and nothing, nothing's coming out of that so far, but I did see a, something from like last month talking about the theatrical re-release or something. So, Oh shit. Maybe he might, he might add a little something, a little extra. Yeah. Maybe we'll get like an end credit scene or something like that. Overall, I felt like it was, it was somewhat similar to the movie, the butterfly effect with Ashton Kutcher, but I don't know. In my opinion, I felt like Why not a smaller scale though. You know what I mean? Smaller scale. Yeah. I feel like on, in butterfly effect, he had to go, he kept going through it over and over to try and fix his mistakes. And it just became bigger and bigger and bigger. But with Donnie Darko, it's kind of just this one thing. One thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I did feel like butterfly effect was less confusing, more impactful. And, and in my opinion, had a better ending, but um, not to take away from Donnie. Like, you know, I can see why yeah. a lot of people enjoy Donnie Darko and, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good film. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, not probably not the best film in the world, but <laughs> you can see why it has a cult following. Yeah, I could see it. You know, everyone has their own tastes, and and you know, everyone enjoyed. Uh, it seems like a lot of people enjoyed Donnie Darko. So yeah. Yep. This has been Afflictionados Podcast, Episode Eight, Donnie Darko. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.